Hello and welcome to Cornerstone Online. This is our weekly experience where we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And if this is uh, one of your first times here, or maybe the first time, any for any reason you haven't let us know who you are, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and keep up to date with you, let you know what's going on at Cornerstone. So you can do that at our website, cornerstonenh.org, by clicking on the new here link, or wherever you're listening or watching, you can text the word new to our church number, 603-225-2550. We would love to be able to stay in touch with you. Now, we are beginning, we're in the beginning of a new series on the letter of First Peter. It's called Outsider Insider. And last week, we started with this idea, or ended with this idea, that we put on our game face. And we used football as the illustration that when you get drafted or you get picked for a team, then you put on the uniform of that team. You have a role to play, a job to do. You learn the playbook. You do the things that being on the team entails. And in this, uh, in a similar way, the Apostle Peter is encouraging his family, the family of God, to do that, to act like they're on the team. We looked at this verse, First Peter verse uh, 13 of chapter 1. He says, so roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game, be totally ready to receive the gifts that's coming when Jesus arrives. Now, last week we used the illustration of football, but the Apostle Peter is actually using a much older illustration. It literally says to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that makes almost no sense, but uh, unless you understand the context in which he's speaking. Now, girding up your loins is the idea that people used to wear these long tunics, and when they were getting ready to go to work or to battle, they would wrap it up and basically turn that long tunic into shorts so that they had flexibility and mobility. It was a way of getting ready to go, to get ready to get in the game, whatever the game is. We see an example of that in the way that Moses taught the people of Israel to celebrate the Exodus, how they experienced it that first time, and then how they celebrated it from that time on. This is Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Whenever they would celebrate Passover, this is the way that they started and eventually celebrated it. Be fully dressed. It literally there says, gird up your loins, get ready to go. Wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand. The whole idea is you're going to sit down to eat this meal, but you're not going to take a leisurely time. You're going to be ready to go at any moment. He says, eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. So this whole idea is that God is getting ready to do something. God is getting ready to move and we need to be ready to respond in obedience and faith. And as we 
become part of God's team, if we say yes to Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, then we may be outsiders to the world, but we are insiders in God's family. And that is the whole theme of this letter, that we are outsider insiders. And he uses three words at the very beginning that we've looked at each week to kind of describe what it means and what it's like to be on this team. We're elect, sojourners, scattered. We're elect, we're selected for service is what I want you to remember when it comes there. It's not God picking favorites, it's God choosing his team and giving us a role to play. But we're also sojourners. We're the visiting team in this game. This is not our home. We are just passing through. This world is not our home. But in this world, we are scattered, just like the different players have different positions, literal positions on the field, depending on the role that they're playing and to do different things. So also God has sovereignly directed the way his children are scattered through the world for his purpose. We are scattered on purpose. But what we want to talk about today and what this passage that we're looking at focuses on is this identity of being outsider insiders. We're talking about our identity, who we are as followers of Jesus and what it means. The bottom line being that new life results in a new lifestyle, a new way of life. That when God rescued us, when he sent his son to die on the cross for us, purchasing our forgiveness, redeeming us from death, and giving us new life, that means that we are going to inherit, we're going to possess that new life, but it's going to make a difference in the way that we live our life. Now, you might remember, if you've been watching along, that the Apostle Peter is writing to people who are undergoing some kind of trial, some kind of opposition, some kind of persecution. And as we look later in the letter, what we're seeing is that these are people who are on the outs of society. They are not the powerful, the high society. These are the people that are on the lower rungs of society. They are people who do not have power to leverage. They do not have position. And so, in part, as a result of that, they are experiencing difficulty and opposition and trial. And they obviously want relief. They want to get out from under that opposition. And what the Apostle Peter is doing is addressing them in this situation and basically teaching us as believers, as followers of Jesus, how to respond in situations like that. And in uh, the temptation is to get angry. The temptation is to despair. The, dis the temptation is to become hopeless. The temptation is to lash out and do whatever you can to grab back power and to get back at the people who are using their power against you. And what the Apostle Peter is showing systematically throughout the letter is that that's not the way we do things because we are followers of Jesus 
And because we've got new life in Christ, we have a new way of approaching the difficulties, the trials, the opposition that we encounter in life. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And each week, as we talk about this letter, we are going to give you a practical step, a practical way to apply what you're hearing today. And that is to make a clean sweep. This is taken directly from one of the translations at the end of this passage that as a result of having a new identity with a new lifestyle, we need to sweep away some of those things that belong to our old life. So we'll come back to that and talk about it more specifically. But let's look at this passage. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to the end, and then picking up the first couple of verses through verse 3 of chapter 2. So, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if you'd like to follow along in that translation. This is how uh, the New Living Translation puts it. So, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he now has revealed him to you in these last days. Verse 21. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter two. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would give us insight, that you would speak 
directly and specifically to everyone who is listening so that they will know exactly what you're saying to them and what they need to do with what they've heard today. And then give us faith and obedience, the gift of a life that aligns with the new life that you have so graciously provided for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. So let's look at it together. We are going to see that new life results in a new lifestyle. And the first thing that the Apostle Peter does is encourage us to embrace our new identity. In uh, a certain football team that I'm familiar with, one of the phrases that you uh, hear them talking about often is do your job, right? You've got a role to play. You're now a part of the team. You're, a, you're playing a position on that team. So you just do your job. And in the same way, the Apostle Peter is encouraging us as followers of Jesus to do what lines up with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to embrace our new identity. Beginning at verse 14, he says, so you must live as God's obedient children. You may remember in the opening verses, we are elect sojourners scattered according to God's will. But then he goes on and says that that's according to the foreknowledge of God. He knew us before and he set us apart, sanctified us by the Holy Spirit, set us apart for service. And then it says unto with the purpose that we would become obedient by and be sprinkled by God's uh, by Jesus Christ's blood. So here's what he's saying. He's coming back to that theme that because you now are following Jesus, you're God's children and children obey their parents. You have a new identity. You belong to the family of God. And so let's act like it. He says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. In other words, there used to be a time where you would just do what you want to, where if you felt like it, you would do it. But those times are over now. You're a part of the team. You're wearing a different jersey now. And so you're God's obedient children. So now that you have this new life, you live a new way of life. You live as God's obedient children. Then he contrasts and says, you didn't know any better then. There was a time where you didn't maybe know any better. You were just doing what you wanted to do. But that's not the way things are now. Now you must be holy in everything you do as God who chose you is holy. In the first message in this series, we talked about that holiness, the idea means something that is other, something that is set apart, something that is different and distinct. And that what makes God different and distinct is that he always does what is right. He, his character is without blemish or fault. And so he says, since you're God's children, you're supposed to look like your father. And so since God is holy, since he does the right thing, since he is loving and kind and good, then you are supposed to reflect that as his image bearers, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God. So you embrace that new identity with no excuses, no excuses. He says, remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. Here's, I think maybe what he's getting at. 
Uh, remember, this is a people that are facing opposition. And the temptation in the midst of that is to fight back, to stand up, to be angry, to uh, inflict harm, to do the things that others have done to you. But he's saying, look, there are no excuses. Since you are God's children now, you need to follow God's design and plan. He's not going to excuse you to do wrong things just because you're included, selected in God's family. He says, the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear. Now there's a sense in which as a follower of Jesus, you are free from judgment. All of the the wrath of God, the anger of God towards your sins was poured out on Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, what he did on the cross counts for you. But the scriptures also say that there is going to be an accounting. There's going to be accountability for the way that we live our lives. We will be, we will experience reward or judgment according to what we do. Our actions are going to be evaluated. So he encourages living in reverent fear during your time here as temporary residents. And that's when he returns back to the idea of a sojourner, that we are just passing through, that this world is not our home. And since we belong to our heavenly home, since we belong to our heavenly father, that's going to make a difference in the way that we live out our life day to day here as temporary residents, as sojourners, as foreigners and aliens. The other reason that we want to do this is not only because God doesn't play favorites, he doesn't make excuse for us. It's also because we were purchased with no small price. He goes on to say, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. You, you are God's obedient children now. You belong to him. God doesn't play favorites and he paid a huge price for you. He paid a ransom to save you. This uh, the, the way that you're talking about where you just follow your own desires, that's your old way. That's the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not, this ransom was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. When you pay for something, when it's a sacrifice, when the cost is high, you want to make sure that that thing doesn't go to waste, that it gets uh, the full use and the full intended benefit. And what, God, what, what Peter is saying here is that when God purchased your forgiveness, it didn't come cheap. It's offered freely to you as a gift of grace but it was very costly. It cost God the precious blood, the life of his son, who is the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And so in the midst of this, 
where you fo- are focused on what God has done for you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to that invitation. And this is, this is the big turning point. This is what every person has to come to as they are on their spiritual journey. What am I going to do with Christ? When you say yes to Jesus, that's the right response. You're saying yes to the forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross so that you might be forgiven, so that you might have your guilty record wiped away and Christ's spotless record put in your place, attributed to you. And you're also saying yes to him as Lord, as master, as the boss, the guy, he's the one that gets to call the shots. And so in order to have this new identity, this is not automatic. It's not a result of watching church on TV. It's not a result of showing up at church on Sunday. It's not a result of being a member of some church or growing up in a particular family. The way that you become a part of the team, the way that you get this new identity is by saying yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're doing that, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you and also resource you for your new life in Christ. So wherever you're listening or watching, you can text yes to our church number, 603-225-2550. And as you get started on your new life with Christ, the new identity that is yours as a follower of Christ will celebrate with you and we will resource you for it. Because new life, results in a new lifestyle. That's the discipleship process. You not only get started, but it starts to work a change in your life. So what does that look like? Well, that's the next step that he talks about, which is defining the win. Uh, Several years ago, I was reading a book about ministry and leadership, and it had a great point that unless you define the win, you won't know if you're winning. When you play a game, that's one of the benefits. There's the scoreboard on the, at the end of the field or hanging from the rafters. You know what the score is. You know how to score, and you know who's winning as a result. What does it look like to win? What's the win as a follower of Jesus? Well, this is what it says. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. And again, going back to verse 2 of this very chapter, where it talks about that you were chosen unto, with the purpose of obedience to Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. It's the same exact kind of thing. You're cleansed from your sins. You obey the truth. Now, what does that look like? What does it mean to obey the truth? What is the win for a follower of Jesus? He goes on. Now, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. The whole Christian life can be summed up in this one word, love. Now, love has different takes, different meanings. Thankfully, Jesus helped define it for us. He said that, he, that the, the command, the new commandment, the big one command, the guiding principle for his followers was to love one another. And he used himself 
as the standard. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love his disciples and his followers? He served them. He gave his life for them. He laid down his life for the benefit of his disciples. And he, in fact, taught us that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And so that's what it means. It means we leverage our life for the benefit of others. In some extreme cases, as Jesus was describing of himself, it may mean sacrificing your life for another. That's the ultimate act of love. But practically, day in and day out, in the ordinariness of life, it means taking my life, my, the things that I have in my hands, in my power, and leveraging them for the benefit of others. Our, one of our core values as a church is related to that. We've described love as being others-centered that we are always looking, as a follower of Jesus, this is what it means. We love others. We're always looking for ways to take what we can do and what we have and look to benefit others. We are others-centered. So that's what he's talking about. That's what the win is. When you take your life and employ it in service and to benefit others, that's what love looks like. And he encourages us to love each other deeply with all your heart. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he gave two, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second one is like to it. They're, they're, they're parallel. They're two sides of the same coin, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we refer to that not as the great commandments, but as the great commandment. Why? Simply because they are two sides of the same coin. What Jesus was teaching us was in the midst of that, that to love the Lord your God wholeheartedly, deeply, with all your heart, you show that, you demonstrate that by loving others. You want to know if you love God? You check your love for others. You want to show love to God? You express love to others. Righteousness, holiness, love, all of these concepts are not abstract. They are practical and relational. They are lived out and demonstrated in our relationships with one another. So, we embrace our new identity, that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be one of God's obedient children, to do the right thing, to embrace holiness. It means that we are going to define the win as love for one another, to take my life and leverage it for the benefit of another, because that's what it means to have new life, and that's what it means to express that in a new way of life. The new life results in a new lifestyle. And then the last point that he makes in this passage is encouraging us to take the long view. To take the long view. And I see this in two aspects. Number one, he says, for you have been born again, 
but not to a life that will quickly end. You see, the first time that we are born, it might uh, hopefully we get to live a long and happy and healthy life. But even the longest life in the big scheme of things is just a short time on earth. What he's saying here is when you become a part of God's family, when you are born again, when you are made spiritually alive, that's a life that's going to last forever. And if you want to invest in life that lasts forever, you're going to invest in others because people are the only thing that lasts forever. And he says that your new life will last forever. People last forever. You're going to spend forever somewhere. And there is eternal death, which is separate from God. And there is eternal life, which is in the presence of God. So when he's talking about life, it's not that you cease to exist. It's life or death as the way, the, the, the character of your eternal life. So he says your new life as a follower of Jesus will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. He's saying when you were born the first time, you were born uh, physically. That physical life is going to pass away because that's just the nature of your physical life. But when you were born by the word of God, when you receive spiritual life, because the word of God is eternal, that life is eternal as well. So I think when he's saying here, you know, look, look at things from eternal perspective. Number one, he's saying you're going to last forever. So live like it. And since people are the only thing that are going to last forever, then invest in them. We've defined the win as loving others. So love others, invest in others, spend your life on things that are going to last for eternity. And then lastly, he kind of teases out, well, what does that look like when you're taking the long view, when you're investing in people, when you've defined the win as loving one another, when you've embraced your identity as one of God's children? At the beginning of chapter two, this is the message translation. So clean house, clean house, make clean sweep, of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You know how it is whenever you have people that are coming over, everybody needs to do the 10 minute tidy. You're going to go around. You're going to put things away. You're going to make things look right. You're going to set things in their place. And what he's saying is, look, your, your life is like that house. And there are things that are out of place. Uh, There are things that are out of place if you're going to be one of God's obedient children, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and, and play your role on the team. So let's set things right. Let's put things in their right place and put them in the right order. Clean house. He says, make a clean sweep. Uh, There's another passage, I think it's in Ezekiel, that has stuck in my mind for a long time where God talks about making a clean break. And one of the best pieces of advice that I give over and over again is that make a clean break, make a clean sweep. There are things that belong to your old way of life and sometimes we just kind of want to 
bring them along as a pet into our new life. We kind of want to excuse them and say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I also want to have this little thing on the side here. And that never works out well. I always encourage, make a clean break. And that's what the Apostle Peter picks up here. Make a clean sweep. Of what? What do you need? What kinds of things need to be set aside, tossed out, put out of your house? Of malice, where that's evil intent towards someone else. And you say, oh, I don't have any evil intent towards someone else. How do you talk about people that you don't know when they're not around? How do we post about people who are in the public eye on social media? What is our heart towards people who are in opposition politically or religiously or whatever? And pretense, the, that's sometimes translated as hypocrisy, saying one thing, doing another. Having our life and our confession, our word and our deed out of line with one another. Envy, jealousy, wanting something that belongs to someone else and hurtful talk. What are our, how are our words reflecting our heart? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever we are saying, that is a reflection of our heart. He's saying, clean house, make a clean sweep of malice, pretense, envy, envy, and hurtful talk. Take all these things that don't belong to your new identity and your new way of life in Jesus and toss them out. So we're going to make, we're going to recognize that new life results in a new lifestyle. And now the challenge step should make more sense to make a clean sweep. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to identify something in the life of your house, the house of your life that just does not fit. And you're going to toss it out. And then you're going to experience the clarity, the purity, the joy that come in, comes from kicking that trash out of your life. We think sometimes by holding on to those things that we can't be happy without them, that uh, we, just, we just need that. But what you will find is when you let go of it, when you toss it out, when you make a clean sweep, you're going to experience freedom because sin is destructive and corrupting. And when you do a clean sweep, when you make a clean break, you're going to find that you will be free in a way that you've not experienced before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself for these, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would show us where we need to make a clean sweep, where there's anything in our lives that does not belong with our new identity as an obedient child of the Heavenly Father. I pray that you would give us courage and conviction to act accordingly and that you would free us from the presence of all of those things that do not belong to a follower of Jesus in the life of a child of God. 
And I thank you, Lord, because we're going to have stories to tell of freedom, of release, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, because we've gotten rid of those things that don't belong in our lives. I pray that this would be the case. I pray that as a result, you would receive all the credit, glory, and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.